when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. That almost sounded like an NPR program intro. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Today at Love the Cubs. <laughs> so that happened. So that happened. This week, as America's service sector workers continue their fight for 15, the rallying cry for an increase in the minimum wage, we'll take a look at one small community and one business in particular in which the battle for a $15 minimum wage has been won. Now the experiences of these workers and their boss offer insight into how a rise in the minimum wage might play out elsewhere. Meanwhile, the battle over the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal is getting more and more intense and sowing new and interesting divisions between nominal ideological allies. What is it about this trade deal that has people so rankled? We shall endeavor to explain. Finally, how do you solve a problem like a presidential election that's happening way too early and being way too stupid? You don't. No, the problem, it can't be solved. I'm sorry, that's just life. We all live in a world of garbage. However, you can still futilely lash out at your tormentors, so why don't you join us for a round of that? I'm Jason Lincolns with the Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter and Dave Jameson, and here's what happened first. Hi, welcome to So That Happened. It is a podcast at the Huffington Post here in Washington, D.C. I'm Jason Lincolns, the editor of Eat the Press. Today, I have with me my friends... Starting with Zach Carter, senior political economy reporter for also the Huffington Post. Yes. And also Dave Jameson, labor reporter at Huffington Post. Not as interesting a title as Zach's, but pretty it's interesting. a title. We'll take it. It yeah. wasn't made up just to make you happy when they denied your raise. <laughs> <laughs> like it literally describes what you do. Like, That's true. And yeah. You are a labor reporter. It's not just that your reporting is labored. That is correct. Okay, good, good. And congratulations, new homeowner. Thank you. Jameson. That's Thank awesome. Thank you very much. That's awesome. And once again, we've conspired to do an all-University of Virginia podcast today, so... And, and with, with landed elites now as well. <laughs> right, super landed. <laughs> we are the gentry now, apparently. <laughs> right, exactly as, as, exactly as Thomas Jefferson wanted. Sorry to all other universities. We don't For be- not being as good. <laughs> We don't mean to be an insular crowd today. So what's how has everyone been? Great. Yeah, you got a house now. Got a house. Was in Seattle last week. Never been to Seattle. Great town. Yeah. Do you regret not 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 having your house in Seattle now? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, bound to happen. Yeah. Rains a lot there though, which you know, if you're like me, when I was at UVA, for instance, I didn't go to class if it rained. So I don't know how I would be able to survive a working life at a place like Seattle. It was so weird. When I lived in Charlottesville, it seemed like the rain would roll in Friday night and, like, leave Sunday. It was like, yeah, fuck your weekend, said the rain. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it, was, yep. it was, like, strange and uncanny. I was always looking forward to going out, and uh, instead I was wet. 
It happens. But it was wet. I did. I regretted the wetness, the damp. That's that was sort of my week. There was a lot of a lot of rain. I felt like uh, you know, news wise, it was re- it's really been dominated by the TPP talk. So I just haven't had really time to to come up for air. It's, it's just been constantly raining down on me. We were going to talk some TPT today, but let's just start. Um, just want to briefly mention uh, today, uh, President Obama uh, made a statement. Apparently, a drone strike went wrong Oof. for the first time ever. Apparently, actually, it's not that the first time a drone strike has gone wrong. Um, obviously, we've been killing innocent civilians of drones for quite some time. But today, unfortunately, it came to light that a couple of white Westerners were killed. So that's different. Uh, Not to diminish them at all. Dr. Warren Weinstein, an American uh, aid worker uh, 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 and and Giovanni Laporto, an Italian aid worker, both killed in a drone strike. Uh, And uh, Obama uh, was teased by a, a note from the press office and then he went in front of cameras today and said, you know, I take full responsibility for this. So that's like a start, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this has always been the issue with the drone program, right? Is that, I mean, they used to have, um, I think I remember you making fun of this, actually. They have like a Terror Tuesdays <laughs> meeting between Obama and, and top intelligence officials where yes. they talk about who is going to be droned like, like it's right. a taco They special. have a kill, kill list. It's like, you know, you go to a small place restaurant and order and it's like, mm, I'll take, I'll take this guy. Blast him out of existence. War can go wrong, uh, but what's what's oddly what's oddly strange about the drone the the drone side of the war is that there there's an enor- there seems to be an enormous amount of pretense given to the fact that it's like perfect clinical and that things rarely go wrong. Uh, the very first drone strike, I believe, kill uh, that that in the Obama administration killed fourteen innocent civilians, and we now tend to like sort of see them as sort of blank. Uh, you know, collateral damage. We now tend to call everyone in these regions militants. Uh, it downgrades. We downgrade terrorists to militants, and we upgrade ordinary citizens that are of military age to militants. You know, now, at one point the definition was just like any any male over the age of like fifteen right. was considered a, a potential combatant, right? And uh, and that was <laughs> kind, of, kind of a loose definition, to say the least. Pretty great. Um, I mean, it's like it's like the worst bar mitzvah ever. It's like you've become a man now. You can be killed by a drone strike, and people won't feel bad. Yeah, I mean, but that's the, that's the I, the issue though is that the administration always portrays drone strike strikes, as you said, as something surgical. The alternative to these surgical drone strikes is boots on the ground war, which would be very messy and very complicated. So, by contrast, this only kind of messy. Uh, targeted killing uh, is is easier, and I, th- I think that that message actually like resonates with a lot of of the American people, which is why I don't think you've seen as much outrage within the Democratic Party as you've seen uh, as you saw t- say in the the anti war movement against um, against George W. Bush. Uh, but but people still get killed, and there's still people. Yep, it's true. So it's very sad. Well, we, you know, let's let's have a little bit of good news then to start off. Dave, uh, you have been writing about. Uh, service sector workers for a long time and you've been specifically covering uh people who have been you know living on the sort of ragged edge of where the minimum wage is uh but this week you got to take it you got uh, an intimate look at people who's uh who've had their minimum wage raised to 15 dollars an hour which is i guess a king's ransom now um <laughs> but but you Classic know I, kingship but <laughs> right yeah it's like but 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 it actually you make the case that it actually has really changed a lot of people's lives for the better. Just this one move. You you must have misread the article because <laughs> it's it was like post apocalyptic when I went there. Oh really? After they raised this thing. 
all the businesses were shuttered. Tumbleweeds rolling through town. Feral cats. Feral cats and dogs. Just disease visible disease. in the Where was, specifically did you go? This was uh, SeaTac, Washington. Okay. Uh, where the airport is. Um, no, it wasn't a disaster zone, actually. I was, oh. I was joking. Oh, that's too bad. That's that, But you would have thought it was going to be. I thought we were um, comer- confer- <laughs> about to confirm a lot of people's <laughs> mythic understanding of what the minimum wage is and does. But instead, we're what? It worked? Uh, well, it's it's early. I'll, we'll say this. Um, there has not been widespread economic calamity, and a lot of workers' lives are, are have improved for the better. Uh, what happened in SeaTac was— Just to be specific, SeaTac is not Seattle proper, and it's not Tacoma right. proper. There's actually a, a, an area, I think, that's that just specifically called SeaTac. That's right. The, the airport is SeaTac, but there is a city called SeaTac. It's incorporated. It encompasses the airport and then some. Uh, so people do live in SeaTac. I think there's like 28,000 residents of SeaTac. So um, SEIU, the— the labor union a um, couple years ago started a, a ballot initiative to bring a $15 minimum wage to SeaTac. It was very targeted. It was tied to workers who work at the airport and who work in businesses like on the periphery of the airport. So hotels, car rental services, that sort of thing. If you were servicing the airport in some capacity, you were going to get 15 bucks was the idea. And they did it. They pulled it off. And this was a big deal because there's a whole fight for 15 thing going on with fast food workers. This was the first time that that they actually succeeded in getting it somewhere. And everybody was kind of like, holy shit. Uh, a lot of people that scared a lot of businesses. It scared Seattle because it said like, hey, this 15 thing is coming. You know, you can get on board with it and have a hand in how it plays out. Or you're just going to get steamrolled because people really like this and they're going to vote for a ballot initiative. So SeaTac... They got theirs through the ballot. Uh, Seattle, very quickly, that brought labor and businesses to the table and the council, and they hashed out a a $15 minimum wage, too, but it's, like, rolled out in phases so that the businesses aren't, like, as freaked out about it. Um, So I just wanted to go there and talk to these workers who got raises, like, overnight because what there was no no phase-in in SeaTac. It was, like— you were getting $9 one day, and then the next you were getting $15. Um, so you're talking about 60% raises for, for a lot of people, which is like, you know, all right, you're not getting rich on 15 an hour in Seattle, right? In fact, you're probably still just kind of eking by. You know, we're talking a salary of around 30 grand. You know, maybe you can get a one-bedroom or something, but you're not, you know, you're not getting wealthy with that money. But, again, it's a 60% raise, so it's going to make life a lot easier. So... I went to this company called Master Park. They're one of the few companies that right now is actually held to the to the to the minimum wage because all the workers at the airport, the wage has been stayed for them because of a lawsuit. So it's only applying to like the estimate is like a thousand workers in SeaTac. Right. So that's where I knew these workers were there. So I went there. The president was super cool, gave me his take on the law, not crazy about it. Uh, and then let me interview his workers. And he was like, they're going to tell you they love it, <laughs> which <laughs> which they did. Uh, but it was really, really interesting because I interviewed, I want to say, four, maybe four employees there, four or five. And what every one of them said, I was like, how does this change things for you? And they're like, it's less stress. I no longer am like feel like I'm pushed up against the wall every week and every month. Uh, I have breathing room now. The, the most interesting guy, um, his name was Sammy. He's, he immigrated from Afghanistan 11 years ago. said, how, do, how does this change things for, for you? 
He said, well, I quit my other full-time job. <laughs> this guy was working. He was working two full-time jobs and a couple part-time jobs. He was, oh. he was working over 80 hours a week every week. Um, he said, so I just left the other job. Now I work a normal person's job here, and I actually see my children. He's got three kids, two daughters, twins that, that are nine, and, and another 10-year-old daughter. He's like, I see my wife and kids. I never used to see them. Uh, he said, I also exercise now. You know, he's like, I always wanted to exercise. Uh, couldn't, didn't have the time to. So it, it, he's an interesting case. He took, he, he went from 80 hours plus down to 40, took a minor pay cut because of that. Um, but because of the huge pay bump he got from 955 up to 15 at his one job, he's coming out pretty much even, and he has a life now outside work. And that's all the different workers had had similar kinds of stories, maybe not as drastic as that. But the whole message was, uh, I'm no longer like terrified of going under, you know, because when you're making that kind of money, your car breaks down. That uh, just throws your your world in turmoil, you know, it, yeah. can, it can send you into like uh, brutal debt, you know, the, the smallest the, thing. Yeah. You imagine the payday loan industry loathes the $15 yes. an hour. Yeah, surely. Yeah. Surely. <laughs> Um, you know, for us, you know, the professional class, we have cushions, you know, I mean, whatever, DC is an expensive place, but you know, you don't know what somebody goes through who's making nine fifty five an hour. Um, and so, you know, it, it's changed things dramatically for them. And the, the, the case, uh, that's on appeal right now, it could be, the decision could drop today. They're going to find out whether all those workers at the airport are eligible for it too. You know, and I interviewed a guy who works there. He works for an aviation a subcontractor that, like, sets the ramps for British Airways and uh, uh, Sun Country and all, all these all, – JetBlue, all these huge airlines. They all subcontracted there because it's like, all right, we're going to give it to this, this little out, out, outsourced company. They can deal with, you know – they they can give deal with giving the the workers you know lower wages and so that guy makes nine fifty an hour working at the airport on ramps. Most of us when we're at the airport, you're looking down at those guys on the plane. You're thinking like that's probably a pretty good job, you know. You know, airport jobs traditionally are good jobs. A lot of them are not now. You know, a lot of because of the subcontracting. Uh, they work for sort of these companies you never heard of, even though they're servicing these big airlines that we've mm-hmm. all heard of. So I talk with that guy who's waiting on the, on the ruling. He's been an activist who wanted this thing so bad. He hasn't had it. He sees the the guys at master park getting it. And he's like, look, I I live with my grandmother. I'm 31 years old uh, because I can't afford my own place. I commute two hours each way on public transit, four hours a day. This guy is, is getting to or from SeaTac airport. And it's because he's making nine 55 an hour uh, or nine 50 or so. Um, so he's like, I know what I'm going to do. If I get that money, I'm going to get an apartment and I'm going to stop freaking out about the bills I have every month. Um, so it was really fascinating to see not just a worker's perspective, but in talking with the, the president of master park, uh, who was a really, really nice guy and who clearly had a great relationship with his workers before all of this. Um, they just weren't getting much money, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he felt he couldn't sustain the raise, but it looks like, uh, you know, he probably can. They're still around, right? It's gotten hard for them. The, their labor costs are up. Uh, I forget what the figure was. It was It's well over a million a year for a company that isn't huge, right? I mean, they're not a mom and pop shop, but they're not Alaska Airlines either. So right. I sympathized with this guy, especially in the fact that he's being his company's being subjected to a law that so far most companies aren't, you know? And he's competing with 
uh, self-parking lots up the road that aren't labor intensive. And since they don't have so few employees, you know, it's all automated. They're not getting, they're not having to swallow these, these pay increases. So, you know, I, I, I really, it was interesting to see his perspective on this and what he said to me, he's like, I don't have a huge problem with 15 an hour. You know, I, I just wish it was kind of phased in and that, that it was applied more broadly. Right. Cause if, if he's singled out, Right. He's at a competitive disadvantage exactly, to yeah. the other companies who are who are paying nothing. And, you know, what you could do in, in, in these circumstances, if, if these industries, if fifteen dollars an hour really was a threat to the bottom line, and it was applied across the industry. The industry is just going to raise its prices and customers are going to pay a little more. And I think most people would say, all right, if my parking goes up to, you know, twelve dollars instead of ten dollars so that people can get paid $15 an hour, that's okay with me. Most customers who are flying air, you know, on airlines and stuff have the extra, the extra money. It's not that big a deal for them. But if only one part of the industry is being subjected mm-hmm. to that... Only one company. Right, that, then that, that competitive pressure doesn't exist. Um, that can't happen. And what these guys did, when they, once they had to start paying that, they actually instituted a surcharge uh, on the parking. You know, you, put, you pay typically 15 bucks a day to park your car there. They they uh, tacked on a, a one dollar ninety nine cent uh, living wage uh, surcharge, which some people dinged them for. You know they they saw that as kind of like, um, you know, sort of talking back at the law. You know, whatever. I mean, just pass the cost on. I have no problem with that. You know, if that that's what companies are going to do. You know, if this but companies have done from time immemorial. Exactly. Yeah. If you if you feel pay, you know, charging an extra buck is going to help you recoup those co- those those new costs you're taking in to pay your workers a living wage, then then go ahead and do it. And it was interesting while I was out there. There's a big Seattle restaurateur named Tom Douglas. Uh, he owns a whole bunch of restaurants. I ate in one of them. Uh, it was terrific. Uh, the, he, because of the Seattle minimum wage, he tried to tack on a 2% surcharge, and he wrote on his blog about it, why he was doing it, and people went apeshit, and he, like, scrapped it in a day because people people were just saying, you know, don't don't put it in our faces like that and raise your prices if you have to. You know, it was just an interesting situation of people, of a business person who didn't like the law. In that case, I think he did. It was done as a form of protest, kind of. I, I want you, consumer, to see that you're being charged more because of this law that was passed. But what people were saying in, in, in writing back to him, I think, was just, you know, all right, if you got to do it, just add it into the bill discreetly. Don't make a big show about it. So he, so he scrapped his 2% thing because of it. So <laughs> Just charge yeah. 2% more. Without yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, look, SeaTac is it's tiny. It's a tiny the thing. The thing is, this, these are the real costs of these things. These it are is. the real costs of these things. You know, <laughs> it, it, it you go into a restaurant you order the, it, it is what it is and of course the company's got to make a profit too you want to make a profit you want to show growth and maybe build your business out the people who bring you your food park your cars make your coffee hand you your french fries that's the real cost of those services you know and if you think if you think every day you're getting some kind of discount that's crazy yeah you know, a thing is what it is. And the human capital that goes into the making the thing, the distributing the thing, the selling the thing, the maintaining of the thing, that's all – I'm. that's true cost. Live I, with it. I, and Deal I, with it. I never really trust the liberal research that says there is no effect to raising the minimum wage at all. There's got to be. And if, if there I, I isn't – do. <laughs> if, if, there, if there isn't, then then maybe you're not raising There's high a cost. But I think you know, you, there, I, there has to be yeah. some – 
something's got to give somewhere. You can't, you know, you can't double somebody's wage and it have zero effect. I mean, yes, the, the company itself is going to take in less profits, but things, you know, they're going to move things around. They're going to pass some on off to the customer. Things are going to happen, but probably the world is not going to collapse. Right. Well, I think you highlighted a company where, uh, where there's a pretty good relationship between the people, between management and workers. And, uh, obviously I think there is, I mean, obviously it's a change. You got to adjust to the change. You know, I think that the way you describe it, I think everyone's sort of like sort of walking hand in hand into whatever this future is. Uh, so I'll root for all of them. I hope I hope they make it work. Thank you. Oh, well, that, that was, was rooting. If you, <laughs> oh, I was rooting. Rah, rah, okay. Fly through SeaTag. You will feel good about parking your car at Master Park. There you go. Master Park. They're awesome people. <laughs> I, Buy I'm, stock. I'm taking your word for that. <laughs> we are now a Yelp review for Master Park. <laughs> Congratulations to us. Um, (laughs) Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at SoThatHappened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. So now we're going to shift gears to maybe a less, uh, you know, happy, happy, happy economic story, but probably one that's just as significant. Uh, the TPP, the the origin story of so many bad naughty by nature jokes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and, and the uh, it's the trans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Pacific Partnership trade deal. Uh, it has long loomed in the background of our politics as a, a thing hanging over it. Not much is known about it because as it is a international trade deal, a lot of details are kept secret. But what what we do know is that it has now become quite contentious. Now we have uh, 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 Pr- President Obama who supports TPP. Uh, saying, you know, I love Elizabeth Warren. She's my girl, but she's wrong about this. And then Elizabeth Warren's like, no, no, you're the wrong one. Who's right and who's wrong? What's up with well, TPP? Well, it's it's tough to uh, adjudicate those claims when the agreement itself is is literally classified. 
Um, and the, the level of secrecy that surrounds uh, TPP, just to, to put it in context, members of Congress can actually see it. Why is this and, kept secret? Why do people keep these trade deals secret? Uh, well, I mean, I think there is a good faith argument that it's, it's hard to negotiate a, a trade deal in public, that if, if you're de- dealing with a very complex subject, even if it was just one country with another country, so two total countries, they would call this a bilateral deal. Uh, there's a lot of different issues to discuss. In so trade. many interested parties. Yeah. Who are the interested parties in TPP? Every single corporation in the United States, <laughs> Japan, and 10 <laughs> other nations. Okay. Um, and all of the people who work for those corporations. All right. So these um, people ought to get along. Everybody who has an interest in the environment, in, in labor standards, it is it is an enormous, enormous category of, of people. Um and, and and these deals have a tendency to to reset standards by which um, things that we don't even conventionally think of as being trading standards uh, are, are applied. So uh, you know, with, with TPP in particular, there are going to be economic effects on, on trade in goods and services. You know, th- th- there will be some effect there, agricultural goods, cars, that sort of stuff. There will be an impact. The big thing, though, is going to be on the regulatory side because we already have trade agreements with most of these nations. Right. There was an agreement called NAFTA that passed in 1993. Canada and Mexico were the other parties to NAFTA. They're also parties to TPP. So there aren't a whole lot of tariffs to get rid of there. So there will be new regulatory standards. And one of the most controversial things for Elizabeth Warren, um, and we know that she is right about this because this chapter of the deal has actually leaked, um, is this process called investor state dispute settlement. And that is basically a process by which a a corporation, uh, a foreign corporation or a multinational corporation can say, you know, we don't like this regulation that you have passed uh, in, in, in this other country. Uh, we believe that it, it unfairly jeopardizes our investment under the terms of this trade deal. And so we are not going to take you to court in your own courts. We are going to challenge your regulation before uh, an international tribunal. And, uh, and, and that process is much more radical um, than what happens under WTO settlements, where you have one nation arguing with another nation over over a trade practice. So under WTO, if, if the U.S. is upset with China about something... WTO is the World Trade Organization. Right, right. B- big, big trade framework established in the 1990s. Um, the United States, you know, Ford Motor Company, for instance, can come to the Obama administration and say, we're really mad about what China's doing, uh, you know, with, with their tires or whatever. And and then the Obama administration, the American government, has got to make a decision that this, this complaint is in their interest. You can't just have one single company in a single sector challenging the laws of an entire, uh, entire Sovereign nation. nation. Right. Yes. Uh, so that's that's a pretty that's a really sticky thing because that power doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with what's going so on. So just as agreement. an example, let's just to, to bring it a little closer to home in the United States, uh, we could pass some sort of environmental regulation, some kind of environmental protection, anti-pollution measure. It could be a federal law, it could be a state law, it could even be a municipal law. And if corporations subject to the TPP arrangement. Uh, objects to that because it impacts their bottom line in one way or the other. They're not willing to part with the profits so that we could all drink clean water and live free of poison every fucking day. They could go to this international tribunal and say, I know that the voters in this area express their will about not drowning in poison and not turning their community into the Gowanus Canal, but we really like money. We really like money. International tribunal help us out, and then they can overrule the plebiscite. Right. Is that correct? They would They would have to win the case before the Right, okay, they'd have to win the case. So they'd have to win the case, which which is not, you know, not obvious because the case, they would have to find that the environmental regulation that had passed was, you know, was a violation. I'm sure small-town Joe, who doesn't want to drink poison and live in clouds of dirt, 
will be, you know, empowered to present his side of the story. Have, have, have a terrific legal team. Right. Well, so that's the issue. Um, it, it, the Obama administration has insisted, although they've kept, you know, the terms of the deal secret, that the the actual terms of, of TPP um, won't won't allow corporations to challenge, uh, you know, legitimate laws that are passed in the public interest. Um the, the, the problem with that argument is that it's hard to tell what types of regulations are going to be important or necessary going forward. And these these treaties are binding well into the future. Um, and we actually saw that with WTO. Uh, WTO has all sorts of restrictions on intellectual property terms, what you can do with you know other people's stuff that is intellectual property. And it sounds really boring. And in the 1990s, people didn't really think a whole lot about it. But now there are tons and tons of lawsuits going around where, where patent trolls are just buying up patents so they can sue people with frivolous right. lawsuits. It's a big tax on the overall economy. And Congress tried to do something about that. They passed a, a bill called you know, it was a patent reform law in, in 2011. That bill is basically nothing. There's basically nothing in it because members of Congress cited the WTO provisions and said, look, if we do anything to change our patent laws to get rid of all these frivolous lawsuits that are plaguing our, our economy, we could be in violation of the WTO agreements. And it wasn't even obvious that there was a clear violation there, if, that we would clearly violate something. And some other country would have had to challenge us in court. But it was obvious that there was a chilling effect on the legislative process. Here. That's crazy. Patent trolling is a huge drag on economic growth in the United States. Yes, it's, it's terrible. And, and, it, and it prevents not just growth, it prevents new startups from doing things. It prevents creative people from, from doing fun new things that make culture exciting and vibrant. Uh, it's, it's a really big deal. Uh, and nevertheless, uh, we basically punted on patent reform. And you've, you've actually seen as a result, you know, Apple owns, you know, bazillions of dollars worth of patents and so does Samsung. And they're, they're, they're constantly suing each other. These companies used to be really in favor of patent reform. They thought patent trolling was something that was really <laughs> uncouth. It was something that was not done in polite corporate society. And, and now the biggest tech companies in the United States are now wasting millions of dollars every year uh, buying these patents and threatening to sue each other with them. And in some cases, actually suing them. It's professional yeah, litigants that occasionally make a watch. Doesn't IBM now hold like every year they get like more patents than anybody or something? Yeah, and like it's that. and it's all you know. It's nonsense. We should not be granting this many patents. Uh, you know, Apple sued Samsung over rounded corners. Uh, if you, you think you have patented the idea of rounded corners, you should have another thing coming for you. But. But that's 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 the substance of these lawsuits. Are they going to sue the Gaudi Cathedral in so, Barcelona? And so the worry, the worry on TPP, <laughs> right? Exactly. The the worry on TPP is that there is that you know whatever Obama agrees to put in this pact, he's empowering an awful lot of very powerful corporations to intimidate people going forward, and and empowering. Uh, Preventing preventing the United States from being able to regulate in its own interest potentially on things that we we don't expect you know we, we don't we don't necessarily see see coming yet there have been other things that have leaked that that liberals are even more upset about uh, that seem to be actively bad in the agreement but I think I think the investor state dispute settlement is a big one it's it's a major corporate empowerment provision um, and it makes pretty clear who's in, you know who 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 is getting getting the you know the sort of the, the first shot at the, at the goods that are on the table in the uh, in the agreement is life if, if TPP doesn't happen does does life become a disaster <laughs> well no I mean this this is the problem they, they they say the proponents of the deal say that look this is forty percent of the world's economy that's at stake and that's true <laughs> it's mostly true because uh, Japan is well, does forty percent of the world's economy just go away like stop being an economy well and it's not like they will stop trading with the United States we have lots of trade with Japan we trade right. with Japan all the time for the, about all kinds of things and it actually seems that the opportunities to open up Japan's market like to US exports the, the two big areas are agriculture and and uh, automobiles uh, 
the Japanese don't buy a whole lot of American automobiles. Um, and they have generally been able to protect their domestic, their, their, the Japanese auto market by manipulating their currency, devaluing it against the U.S. dollar. So it's not obvious you know, all this stuff is still secretive. We don't we don't have actual documents, but it's not obvious that there is even going to be a substantive really opening of, of the markets that are closed in Japan. So the trading circumstances between the United States and these countries in, in actual goods, I don't think is going to change dramatically whether TPP passes or doesn't pass. It's the regulatory stuff that's coming in behind it with the with the agreement um, that has that has people uh, really concerned. And, and you know, you, you could see if, if the terms of the deal are really bad, you could see a flood of imports to the United States that are cheaper. Uh, and organized labor is obviously very worried that that'll mean shuttering factories in the United States. All right. Well, uh, where, where does it just briefly, where, is, where are things going next with TPP negotiations? Uh, well, the administration was able to get, um, they, they were able to get uh, the bill through uh, the, the, a, a trade promotion authority bill, which is sort of necessary, a necessary first step to passing TPP in, in, through the Congress because it, it bars like members foreplay of foreplay to the larger later sex act. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're just sort of they're just sort of nibbling around the shoulders. Um, <laughs> although I, you know, for, the bill's called fast track, so it's it sort of suggests that the foreplay is not going to be particularly. Uh, is it ever not going to be a lot of investment? Is it ever in American politics? <laughs> is there, there going to be like a <laughs> TPP porn spoof? Probably not. Uh, no. Right. I don't even know what that would mean. <laughs> for all you trade nerds out there, this one's for you. You know, I, if there's if there's some kind of like Thomas Pynchon slash Joe Stiglitz uh, art house pornographer out there that can actually turn TPP into a porno, we would definitely like uh, TPP that. actually probably stands for some weird sex thing that I don't even know about, yeah, actually. It probably does. <laughs> check, check the Urban Dictionary. It probably means something really horrible. <laughs> But regardless, the, the fast track bill is cleared committee now. All right. Um, so, so that, but there are like almost no Democratic supporters in the House. So, if they can't get the fast track bill through the House, they're really screwed. So, I, I think there's going to be a, a big push from uh, the administration to either round up a whole lot of House Democrats who are in favor of it before the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe comes to the United States to give a speech next week, <laughs> or a big effort by the administration to tell everybody to shut up about TPP while Shinzo Abe is in town. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to our last topic today, and it's a topic about a topic, to be honest with you. We're getting a little bit meta. <laughs> uh, okay. Metastasizing? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, there's a presidential election happening. Huh. Mm. I thought that was in 2016. Pretty, it was, yeah, yeah, you thought that. Um, yeah, it's not been good the first few the last few weeks of 2016, it's gotten very fatiguing. George Packer, the New Yorker, wrote about it. Here's a quote from George Packer. Quote, what has happened is that some th the same things keep happening. The tidal wave of money keeps happening. The trivialization of coverage keeps happening. The issues have remained urgent, but the language of politics stays the same, and it's a dead language. I'll just point out that last night I saw a breaking story on Politico about someone accidentally backing into the bumper of Hillary Clinton's van. Did anybody get a Pulitzer for that? I <laughs> think you get a pull it, sir. Like, sir, come pull my knob until something comes out. And then what came out was a 400-word story about a guy who 
bumped a car that happened to be part of a presidential <laughs> set of cars that was parked, uh, and it was on political. Did the press corps chase the the car? I I don't know. There was like they got the the it was the like Benny Hill a, music. They got a quote from like the Secret Service. And it's like, and it's like, it was infused with this drama. The Secret Service came over, and I'm sure what the Secret Service guy did was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It happens. Bump cars, yeah, whatever. Surely this won't become a story. Or overreacted and was kind of a jerk, but still not a story. <laughs> yes, no one overreacted. No one overreacted. The, here's the best thing about this Politico story, because you knew, because they're chasing that pull it, sir. Mm-hmm. They couldn't let this go. They actually asked the person who bumped the car who they were going to vote for. Well, you they had do something. Did they have an answer? They had not made up their mind. They they met a very open minded New Hampshire person who was just like, oh, you know, it's waiting to, waiting to see. Well, then, as a reporter, you just tug that guy's contact away for your your right? undecided yeah. stories in another another <laughs> year. Yeah. So, uh, I've seen a couple of really interesting. Uh, you know, a week or so ago, just about every GOP hopeful was in uh, in New Hampshire. And there were some profiles of the reporters wrote where, like, they just clearly didn't get a story and they went up there. And so they're, like, talking to people in shoe stores in New Hampshire, like, so, yeah, how's the shoe business? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, it's all right. You know, uh, (laughs) we're trying to sell shoes at the right price. You know what I'm really bummed about, you guys, is that, like, the the national press, and I think this is, like, uh, this, this is a crime. They have completely dropped the Chipotle story. Yeah. I mean, we so, were learning a lot about Chipotle last week, and now the press has just moved on. Just moved on. Why aren't we hearing more about Chipotle? Because well, last week it was all about fucking Chipotle. Well, I'll tell you why, why, uh, Jason. It's because I mean, you may have missed this story because it was a real bombshell. But <laughs> uh, I read in the Wall Street Journal that, uh, yes. that Hillary Clinton actually flew first class on an airplane recently. Uh, that's what I heard. Yes, I saw from, that story. From the Wall Street Journal. That's what I saw. I saw that story. How dare she? I like the, the, I like the fact the Wall Street Journal. The, what's funny about this is the Wall Street Journal article that described Hillary Clinton getting on a plane was, like, so infused with this, like, class warfare language. It was, like, obviously just, like, literally trying to, like, other Hillary Clinton uh, by painting her as like some rich plutocrat. And I was just like, that's right. Class warriors at the Wall Street fucking journal <laughs> taking it to the man. You know, that's what we expect from the Wall Street Journal. An end to capitalism. I appreciate the fact that the Wall Street Journal going full communism. <laughs> she probably got two bags of peanuts. <laughs> I know. I know. Meanwhile, the seat probably cost 500 bucks. So I flew first class by accident once. What? You're a yeah. monster. Yeah, it was an, it was a total accident. I had Shame. picked uh, I just picked my like you know the front row on some airplane because I wanted to be able to get off quickly, and uh, it just turned out that like they had screwed up their like seat choosing uh, program, and the first like four rows were first class, and they'd let me pick a first class seat. So I was paying you know it was like whatever 150 dollar flight, but I had I had the ridiculous first class seat. It was awesome. I mean I got. Free booze. I mean, it was like an hour and a half flight, but I just kept being like, I need another beer. I need, I, I need, I need some champagne. Like, just constantly. It's all free, all the time. I got off the plane. I felt terrific. 
Uh, really, so, what happened was Zach was in coach, but told the attendant that he's a veteran, <laughs> falsely. <laughs> Stolen so valor. They, wow. so they gave him a vacant first class. Wow. So, so it's it's like, yeah. God, how how could that be worse? Maybe if I uh, if I like limped and pretended to be wounded, you know, and have, have a I, battle industry, that can, that would be worse. Can I tell I, you one other thing <laughs> about that New Hampshire thing? This is so hilarious to me. So like Bloomberg politics, Mark Halperin was there. Great uh, journalist. <laughs> He is a multiple pullet, sir, winner. Oh. <laughs> he does a lot of stuff that I can't do, man. He gets these anonymous quotes from people. That, yeah, like, you okay. Know, I don't know true. how to do that. That's true. I don't know how to do that either. But here's the thing. He was, like, grading people. He was grading all the Republicans on a scorecard. And it was crazy. The grades were so weird because he gave them a grade for style and a grade for substance. And, like... <laughs> It was really clear. That, <laughs> I like, saw that. I that, read like, that. Yeah. No matter how substantive a person was, it didn't really help their grade. Um, I saw you. I read it because you tweeted, and I believe your tweet. You said, "Congratulations to everybody who didn't write this." <laughs> right. I'll be doing that a lot this year. <laughs> I feel. Um, but but Sam Wang, Princeton University uh, political scientist and pollster, actually did a regression analysis of like all of Mark Halperin's grades, and he put them on a on a on a chart, and he demonstrated. <laughs> That that substance almost always hurt people, <laughs> in that it never really helped push the grade up. In fact, Rand Paul was adjudicated for being too substantive. He was like graded down for being too substantive, and it was really funny because like he had like on the graph the style. There was an arrow pointing up, and the tip of the arrow was was uh, was style. Oh uh, no, tip yeah, and well, one tip was style, one tip was substance, and then there was a carrot in the middle of the arrow that demonstrated where people's grades landed between the two. And in the middle of the chart, you'll see people that that range from like B plus to D getting Bs. And I'm just like, I don't think that's how grades work. I mean, I went to college <laughs> and high school and I would have loved it if that's how grades work. Like every D <laughs> didn't count against me. That's awesome. But what was amazing is that like, there was like, there were four people, five people who got the same overall grade and it ended up that Donald Trump was not distinguishable from some of the more credible candidates. And it's like, at a very least, you should be able to distinguish Donald Trump from a credible candidate. That's not hard. It's something. But, you know, there's going to be some there's going to be some great insidery stories about, about campaigns that I was not going to be able to access that these political reporters are going to be able to, to knock out. And we, we just have to get to that stage of the campaign. Are we? It's like, you're right. You're right. You know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of shit? That's 2016. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Joining me today here at uh, at So That Happened. And I just want to point out that like our commitment to you guys is that we're going to try our best to not cover 2016 so heavily. We did a fine job today talking about real people, real issues, real politics, and real concerns of real human Americans. Uh, but it will be unavoidable at times, and we apologize for contributing to the shit. Uh, anyway, joining me today... Zach Carter and Dave Jameson and I'm Jason Lincolns, editor of Eat the Press. You can follow Zach Carter on Twitter at at Zach D Carter, Z-A-C-H-D-C-A-R-T-E-R. You can follow Dave Jameson on Twitter or whatever the fuck your Twitter handle is. Jameson. That's it? That's it. J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. Not like the whiskey. People think I'm the whiskey. They tweet at me like I'm the whiskey. I look at you and I think you are whiskey. I'm full of whiskey sometimes, but I'm not the whiskey. You are? full of whiskey right now. And I'm Jason Lincoln. You can follow me at Deceiver. That's D-C-E-I-V-E-R. 
I'm going to leave the studio like in a rush because there's another podcast happening apparently. So uh, toodaloo, thanks for being with us. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, I was joined by Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter and Dave Jameson. So That Happened is available on your iTunes, so please check us out in the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Subscribe to the ones you like and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, go ahead, send us an email and send that email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, we thank you so much for listening. We miss you already. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.